0: Welcome on another episode of the Leaders Who Care. We're on a mission to bring together some of the most um, caring leaders of the world who actually make a difference and look beyond the profit and margins. And today I had a privilege to welcome a, uh, a very special guest, someone who's actually uh, has uh, made such a profound difference to communities and societies. Um, I have the privilege to welcome Dan Sharon-Smith, Dan is the founder and CEO of My Mother 3 and he's uh, on a mission to make it easy for value-led businesses to go green and save money on their finances and their bills. Previously, Dan was on, founding, uh, on the founding team of the Look After My Bills and um, best ever deal on Dragon's Den and also saved the British public uh, over 127 million in three years. Love to talk about this. Dan, really privileged to welcome you on the Leaders Who Care. Thank you for joining us today,
1: Marian. Great to be here. And what a wonderful introduction! Thank you,
0: Dan. Um, there's so many questions, but let, let's start with um, uh, you, let the UK's largest auto switching site. Look after my bills. How did how did you um, uh, became part of that? What uh, uh what What led you to this path of your journey?
1: yeah, so for me i was uh i was the couple of things that came together so first is I worked at over energy for about three years and really got stuck into a lot of different departments there. I was on their graduate scheme, so I was able to look at uh you know how the marketing works, but also how the trading works how you know how you're pricing for for customers and so forth. And left that business to launch my first startup, which was a social business called Good Company. It failed. There's lots of stories uh I can tell about that, but it didn't it didn't work out. And towards the end of that, of my time there, the original two founders of what what became Look After My Bills, it was called the Big Deal, Henry DeZoot and Will Hodson uh got in touch and, and we got chatting. They had this idea for look after my bills. Their business had been, uh, it was collective switching. So they'd been negotiating on behalf of their customers for better deals with energy suppliers. Huge intensive work. You have to negotiate every single deal. You then have to get the people to move on those deals. You know, and we know if a customer doesn't move on an energy deal, their price goes up. So they get stung by that kind of loyalty, loyalty tax, we would call it. So there was a big customer need. There was a social impact to it, which I really liked. And yeah, I, I ended up working with them. They set me the task of launching, look after my bills. So I actually ran that on my own for six months, put the systems in place. The first 300 customers had my mobile number. So anything that went wrong, day or night, I was uh, I would hear about it. And then after six months, we um, we felt we had the processes in place and the and the sort of market fit to really start to to motor on it. And yeah, that was the, that was the start to look after my bills, really.
0: When you say you saved
1: 127 million in three years, how did you measure that? Yeah. So we know the uh, price the customer was paying when they, when they did a comparison on our website, on the look after my bills website, and we know the deal we switched them to because we were doing it on their behalf. So we we knew the price differential between those two and we switched almost a million homes to better energy deals. So we could see with very clear data, you know, how much we actually saved the uh the UK public.
0: Love it. Well, uh, sustainability today, not today, it should have been always the case. It's it's just so critical to to our way of living. And uh thankfully we see a lot more um a lot more activities a lot more commitment to it still not enough of course there's plenty more to do but um it's it's really essential and uh, i see that after look after my deals it led you to establish and found my mother tree tell us more about what you do today and uh, what is the mission of the organization
1: absolutely so mother tree Our mission is to make it really easy for values-led businesses to go green and save money on their finances and their bills. We work with all sorts of different companies. We work with uh, our biggest client has 900 employees. It's go cardless. Our smallest is a one-person band, lots of different areas, fintechs, charities. The thing that binds them all together is their values-led. Uh, and what we do for for our clients is we we analyze where they currently are for their finances in terms of returns and savings, but also in terms of carbon emissions, and in terms of their values. and then we look at the trade-offs we're able to look at can we get better returns, can we reduce carbon? can we align the values in a more significant way? And once the client's happy with that plan, we then go and make that plan a reality. So we do a lot of the paperwork, a lot of the legwork to make you know to make that really come to fruition and, and I'll just give you one story on this. So we work with a brilliant client called quick Fox labs who runs uh, Facebook marketing ads and on the surface, you know, we almost turned them away, but I got chatting to the founders, Emma and Amy, and it turned out, you know, they've never had a female boss in their career, which is ludicrous. And they recruit out of prisons and out of foster care. So their whole, their whole thing is about equality. And when we looked at their bank in particular, their bank was investing billions of pounds into all white male boards, all white male C-suites and you know businesses without gender equality policies. And so we switched their bank, we saved them money, we reduced carbon. But the thing that they got real value out of was their bank has a genuinely diverse team at the top and they're investing in genuinely diverse teams. So they got that, that real alignment to their mission.
0: That is very uh, really helpful. And just talking about um, those initiatives, what do you see as as the future for a lot of those organizations? You know, just with my Mara Three, what um, what problem are you hoping to uh, to solve in a bigger scale? I mean, you're already making a significant impact, but w- w- what is the vision?
1: Yeah. So for for me, there's there's twofold. One is the big vision here is you know politicians aren't really playing their part right now when it comes to the state of the planet and, and and also how people are in the world big business isn't playing its part in the world you know they owe a lot more tax than than they're actually paying and which means it's left to the rest of us to step up and one of the biggest ways we can change society is figuring out where the money is going and taking intentional action If we don't like where our money's headed and I'll, I'll give you an example. So in the UK, the sort of traditional big five banks, Barclays, HSBC, Santander, NatWest and Lloyds, they're investing, you know, just last year, they put 29 billion into oil and gas projects and the world's 60 biggest banks, which includes those five put 50 times more into fossil fuel expansion than the fossil fuel companies themselves. So to put that another way, for every pound that BP or Shell put into expansion of their fossil fuel activities, the world's 60 biggest banks put 50 pounds in, right? And once we sort of cotton onto that fact, if we can start to change that flow of money to areas that, you know, instead of fossil fuel, can we get the right infrastructure and the right energy sources which don't impact our health or our our future? And that, you know, that is absolutely possible. We can make those changes. And, you know, if government isn't going to do it, if big business isn't going to do it, then actually the rest of us can make that happen. So that's the big vision. Can we start to change society in a really profound way by making sure the cash is going to the right places? No, I'm that, very
0: optimistic.
1: <laughs> sorry, what was that? I'm very
0: optimistic, <laughs> even yeah, though well, it doesn't seem.
1: <laughs> well, me too, because we start to talk the CEO and the chairman's language, right? So Barclays chairman, Nigel Higgins. He's going to—he—he set the plan for net zero 2050 for that bank. He's going to be 97 when that comes around. It's not his problem. His problem right now is his shareholders. And the way we can put pressure on him and tell him you need to do a better job is by taking money out of that bank and telling him why we're we'll leaving. Right. So we talk the language of the of the chairman and chairwomen. Uh, and then the second part is is on business side. So at a at a kind of individual business side, what we find is you know even some of the most ethical businesses they're B corp rated they've got all their credentials when we look at the cash you know it's banked with people like Barclays or HSBC they say they're going to switch but they rarely get round to it there's a nervousness about the uh the security of their money understandably and you know the risk that they can take given the money in the account so what we do and my co-founder is a qualified accountant He's actually just one, he's just got to the final list of the 35 under 35 best accountants in South Africa, He's based in their based in London now. Uh we can go really deep in terms of those business requirements, in terms of managing that risk, and in terms of making sure that the company's optimized for their cash. Uh so that it's going to greener banks, it's reducing carbon, but crucially it's it's making them more money because it's in an optimized position. And companies just don't tend to get around to making those changes. There's you know, there's more. Pressing needs, so we'll do that in the background and let them get on with their with their brilliant work. Well, that's that's really um, I,
0: I relate a lot to what you just said because when when they start to be affected by the deposits or the customer, um, yeah. obviously customers leaving, uh, then it's a real um, a real deal. Then they can really make those changes, and I think. That is really uh, very important, and it probably even there's a lot of awareness that still needs to go around, especially when you go deeper into the consequences of, of switching to to different um, uh, supplier. And, and I, I relate to that in terms of security, like everyone else. It just uh, at some point, especially in a, in current times, it was very uncertain with what has been happening in the last few years. Um, Talking about your, your early success and just uh, um, bringing now to you, you said best ever deal on Dragon's Den. Um, what does that mean? Tell us
1: more about this and how did you achieve it? Yeah, so we went on Dragon's Den about a year after launching Look After My Bills. Uh, it was a risk. You know, it can go either way on Dragon's Den. If you, if you pitch badly, then it, then it can really impact the brand, understandably. Henry and Will, the original two founders, went on. So I was kind of uh I more the drummer of that of that band, as it were. They were on the microphones. And they they you know they did an outstanding pitch. All five dragons bid three times each for you know to get in on the on the company. Uh we eventually went with Jenny Campbell and Ted Slivanny. The amount they put in versus the the valuation of the company at that time was at that point, and I still think remains the best ever deal. Uh, and, you know, within a year, we sold to Go Compare. So we got them a 3x return on their investment. Uh, I think it's three and a half, actually, return. So, you know, just one of those moments that really worked. And actually being on Dragon's Den, the company took off. We went from 10,000 customers to about 50,000 customers overnight. We had a hundred thousand by the end of the year, and uh, we we talked about it already. When we left, we were just shy of uh, of a million customers on a, on a look after my bills. Wow, well, this is some uh,
0: people are very interested in those uh, in the mechanics in in these successes, and uh, just looking at that on its own, the fact that there was really such a interest. In, on a dragons den it shows that you guys have exceptional value what would be your advice and if we look at because success leaves clues so maybe just if we dissect a little bit what led to this uh, exceptional uh, success for you um i know it's often complex it's not one thing or the other what would you say were the the characteristics of, of or the trades that were um key instrumental to reach that a success and, or interest in Dragon Stand, just looking at the overall team, not just you, but being part of that organization?
1: Yeah, so, you know, when I joined, the look after my bills was a, was a thought, was an idea in Henry and Will's mind. And I'd actually had the same idea at Ovo that whenever your tariff went up for your energy, we'd automatically switch you to a cheaper tariff. What were the ingredients? So what one thing I'm really kind of obsessive on is the data. So everything that goes on, I want I I track. Uh, and you know, so every week we're able to see all of the data from marketing to product performance to customer feedback. So we get real clarity on you know what's going well and what's not. But even before that, even in idea stage, for me the really key thing is. Test in the market, not the mind. Like it's easy to sort of, and I, I made this mistake at my at my previous company, Good Company, the uh, the social business. You know, it's easy to talk about something in a meeting room. It's easy to come up with hypotheses and have an intellectual discussion about it. The only thing that counts is how customers react to it. And and so being able to get something into the market that you can test and learn from is 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 for me absolutely key. Uh, And, you know, we were able to do that at at Look After My Bills. I went to probably 10, 15 people's houses and literally watched them interact with the product, watched them switch, watched them get up from the table and go and find the bill and all of that friction that stops them, you know, finishing an application with us. So I think tests in the market, not the mind. And then the the other thing, you know, we spent a little while thinking, how are we going to, what's the business model here? Are customers going to pay? Are we going to get commission from suppliers? And the key thing for me is sell first, build later. So we really, you know, we made sure we had the demand side, the customer side, that there was genuine interest. We had a wait list set up. We were able to test that people really did want this product before we ever hooked up anything or put any time and money into building the, uh, the actual product so that we had that bank of interest. We had that bank of, of demand. And I think that's just, you know, that just really leans into action over over talking. And of course, you know, it's a double-edged sword. We spent a lot of time making sure that after we'd set up and after we had demand, when we had about 5,000 customers and, you know, uh, energy providers were paying us, we spent a lot of time then refining that product and making sure it delivered a great customer service. And we got it wrong on Dragon's Den. we underestimated the interest, we thought we'd get about 30,000 customers, we got about 50,000 overnight, that had, a, that had a really big impact on the customer experience, right, we got that wrong. But for the most part, we got, I think we got the cause right. And that's because we're able to track the data and really understand what's going on. That's because we're able to test quickly in the market, as opposed to sort of have those chats in the meeting room, and it doesn't get done for two, three, four weeks, and then the, the momentum's lost already, anyway. So those were the main, the main big things for me.
0: What role did care played in that success? Do you think?
1: That's a really interesting question. I haven't, haven't really thought about that before. I, I, th- I think there's an understanding. You know, certainly within look after my bills when we went from just me running it to the smaller team. And then after Dragon's Den, we had about 10, 15 people in the team. There was always a sense of, you know, we wanted to look after our employees and we probably veered too much on the side of it was a family looking back. We could have been more, a little bit more hard nosed about it, but we always wanted to make sure our employees were set up in the best way possible for them to then deliver success. And something I often come back to is uh, the Wales rugby coach, Warren Gatlin, he inherited this, this, and this was the first time he he's rejoined Wales recently, but he inherited this awful Welsh team. They just got very, very badly beaten by the South Africans. And lots of the Welsh rugby players were moaning and complaining. They even had to pay for coffee. So he said, right, we're going to sort all of that out. He sorted all of those problems out. Coffee was free, et cetera. And then he said, and now performance is on you. Right. And, and I, I see my role increasingly, but definitely back at look after my bills about how do we set our employees up for success, but also hold them accountable for those results. And I think care is a big part of that. It's about, you know, we, we genuinely care for these people. We want them to succeed. The bit that I've learned is to be a little bit more hard-nosed when they're not succeeding. But I think that just, you know, for me, that comes with the experience and knowing where, where sort of my blind spots are as well. What do you mean a bit a bit more hard nosed? Give us maybe just an idea or an example that may be useful. Yeah, so you know we had we had one employee who she had, she had great potential. She 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 could be brilliant on her day around sort of data. wasn't a, a great communicator of things, and I think as things went on, sort of pe- uh, patience wore thin. But I I stuck by her. I said you know this person could be brilliant. We wanted to get her that, you know, made sure we got her the training and the support she needed, but she still wasn't hitting those targets, but I continued to stick by her. Whereas actually there's some points it's just important to have that hard conversation and say, look, things aren't going the right way. Let's find out why not. and start to put things in place, but I didn't do that for that person. And, and, you know, that's a really important lesson for me because if you don't address those problems, they just, they just get worse. And, you know, addressing it from a sense of care, you know, I genuinely care about this person. I want them to succeed, but also holding that, that responsibility, that sense of, you know, it's also on you to hit those, to hit those targets. It's, it's a, it was a balance for me. And I, you know, I didn't always get that right.
0: Absolutely. I think it's care also when you share that with them, hey, are you okay? You're not performing. Is there something going on? And you're absolutely right. It's uh, because we can provide an environment and we can take a really, um, a lot of care of people. But Sometimes a lot of care may not be care. It's uh, it's also may, maybe it's more of you, you're doing them a disadvantage in the long term, and I think it's important for them to, you're right, find a balance of not to overburden them to a point where they will f- fail badly or, or burn out, or but at the same time provide a, a situational um, conditions for them to grow and stretch even beyond their current uh, situation. I often. Uh, See people not for who they are today, but who they could become, and I, I really love to to help them achieve that in in many ways. And I think that's that's a great great point that you're raising here. And um, um, how do you take care of yourself? What do you do uh, for to, to stay on top of your game, to be resourceful? Because it's not easy. I mean, especially in your position, I, I guess there's so many things. You know, how do you manage with your personal relationships, your, your, uh, your lifestyle? How does it, is is there such thing as a work life balance or is it just life balance?
1: (laughs) It's a, it's a great question. And I think there's always a, it's always a sort of learning game on this one, but for me, what's working right now, say I'm I'm quite structured with my time and it's in the mornings, I do, a I don't know if you've heard of the Wim Hof Method, but it's basic, basically a breathing technique to oxygenate the uh, oxygenate the blood and get oxygen to the brain. So I do that for about 10, 15 minutes in the morning and there's a bit of meditation in that as well, kind of just focusing on one task. So that really helps to sort of quiet the brain and get it ready for the day. Uh, you know, most days I, I do a workout in the morning as well. I think it's important to keep the, the body moving because I work at, my desk most of the time, everything that I do is, is, uh, is online. Um, so I, you know, try and get a workout in the morning. I have a two and a half year old son. So between sort of seven and eight thirty, uh, if he's awake and he often is, then that's sort of my time with him. And we have a nice play and prepare breakfast together. And that keeps me grounded, right? He's so, he's so in the moment for absolutely everything. And his emotions are it's joy or sadness or everything in between this he doesn't hide them and that's kind of beautiful it's beautiful to observe so he keeps me he keeps me really grounded and then because of that you know he then goes off uh to the nanny or nursery and then i know i've got eight hours i've got eight hours of of sort of work and focus so that's you know that's when i really put it in but it's also about finding quality time with with my wife and uh, and my boy theo so you know, that takes a lot of planning, but we try and get something of quality in at least once a week. So we have at least, you know, that balance. We don't always hit that, but we we try and make, make that a reality. So, yeah, I'd say it's a it, it's a combination of those things plus eating well. I find diet massively impacts me, right? If I, I mean, it's clear on drink. I used to drink probably a bit too much in my younger years, but I don't drink much at all anymore. But also things like wheat, I find slow me down quite a lot. Uh, you know and overeating meat and I don't eat any meat anymore I'm a a kind of vegetarian borderline vegan but have become very very aware of my diet over the years which has also massively helped uh, sort of free up just free up my time I used to be very very tired when I ate when I ate the wrong things and I don't get that anymore
0: it's about managing your energy and having be resourceful during the day. And I think, uh, there's an element of self discovery. I, I, I know we need to spend time to learn our bodies and, uh, and minds as well. What, what experiments see, what are the limits, what we can do, what we cannot do, I think, uh, is essential to, to have that, that awareness and, uh, rather than just walk, walk in the darkness as such. So, um, um, what sets your heart on fire these days what gives you this real excitement to wake up in apart from your son of course bless bless him you know it's really uh, brings a lot of joy to your life but apart from your wife and your uh, and your son and, and I would definitely encourage you to do more with them and take more quality time because that's the most important thing you know uh, of, obviously depending on your spiritual side but typically um, family is really your on, on earth is it's the testimony of, uh, of your and, and it's really keeps you keeps that groundness keeps you keeps that uh, keeps it all together so uh, it's a it's a time to honor your wife as well as well because she's I'm sure, sure taking a lot on but uh, apart from uh, the family here uh, what what else really gives you this excitement this this uh, this
1: passion to wake up in the morning and to uh, make a difference i love solving big problems right like that that really gives me the uh the fire and actually when i realized where our banks and our pensions were investing our money that's the thing that that gets me fired up because you know it's kind of scandalous that they don't they don't say you know yeah we're investing 10 billion in oil and gas because of course we'd want to move away from them so they, they keep us in the dark and when I realized that this is the biggest lever that we have to tackle the climate crisis, then that for me is, this is exciting. There's lots of, there's, we've got all of the innovation, all of the projects we need to get us out of this climate crisis mess. And, and it's much broader than that. You know, it's biodiversity, it's poverty, uh, it's equality. But for me, the kind of climate crisis is the way into this. And actually where our money goes to our banks and pensions this is the biggest lever available to each of us to start to impact that. And that excites me because you know it, it can get really bogged down in the kind of political debate or feeling like I'm just a drop in the ocean. But actually, once we start changing the flow of the money and we live in a capitalist society, this is what underpins it. We start, we can start to build a society that genuinely works for, for people and, and for our planet. So that for me is that's incredibly exciting thinking about. You know what kind of world are we going to get in the next twenty to thirty years, and it doesn't have to be the sort of default Armageddon path that we're on. We can change that course, uh, and that for me is the kind of biggest problem I think humanity's ever faced. And you know, I'm really fired up to get to be part of of the solution to that.
0: Well, um, let me ask you a question, which uh, I. Uh... I tend to ask all almost everyone on the on the show and um, if you had no limitations uh, unlimited resources, in other words, and uh, the power that you need, what is one thing that you would like to change um, that will lead us to more caring, more sustainable world
1: I think. Instilling in people a deep appreciation of nature. Right when we realize how connected we are to this beautiful planet, it's the only planet that we've got, it's the only planet we'll ever know. You know, even if Musk gets to Mars within our lifetime, that won't be cultivated. It's this incredible planet, and I think if we're closer to nature, we also realize how important communities are. Because our communities are absolutely interwoven with with nature and, and really, you know, we are a social animal. We're a social being. We draw we draw our strength. Whether we're an introvert or an extrovert, ultimately we draw our strength from from the community. And I think from having that real deep connection to our natural world. And if it was truly unlimited, I would like everybody to to sort of Wake up to those two facts. You know that 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 beauty of our natural world and how connected we are to it, and and also to our communities. That's beautiful. And uh, it's
0: like somebody was giving this example: uh, if you were to choose a car right now, today, any type, any any sort, any color, and if it was tell you can have it right away, and let's say make the choice, but then the condition is you're never going to get another car for the rest of your life. I think the premise probably is uh, most of us will take a really good care of that, and and <laughs> read the manual, and we'll see how what it how to take care of it, and uh, and of course I wish that you have more and more car and in, in in your life, but uh, that's the same with our bodies and our planet. So uh, um, and I think it's really important for as you say, people to realize that you're not going to get another body, you're not going to get another planet because they're interconnected, uh, as you say. What you eat, how you take care of the planet, really, really important. And uh, thank you for bringing this uh, um, this in, a, in, in a such a such a way. Well, if any one of our audience is interested to reach out to you, Dan, um, first of all, for what reason? should they reach out to you is there um you know with with my monetary or your own perhaps advisory consulting um what what would be of exceptional value to them to reach out to you and how can they connect with you
1: yeah so i would say you know if you're in a business or you're either the ceo cfo and you're looking at what can your business do beyond just bau you know, reach out to to Mother Tree, because we look at the carbon impacts and the values impacts of your financial choices. And it's huge. Let's give you one example. So Google has 130 billion in its accounts, bank accounts, based on how those banks are investing, that money has a carbon footprint. That carbon footprint is bigger than the carbon footprint for Google and their supply chain. In fact, it's twice as big. And that trend stacks up for the average UK company as well. It's twice as big for the average UK company. So what we do with our cash is incredibly important. And the way we work with clients is not only to reduce the carbon on that side, but to make sure it's going to the values that the uh, the business supports and get better returns on that cash. So there's actually a, you know, it leads to additional savings within the business. So it's a kind of win, win all round. So I'd say if You know, if you're thinking about how can my business have a more positive impact, then get in touch, mymothertree.com or dan at mymothertree.com. And you can also reach me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty sure I'm the only Dan Sherard smith Uh, you know, pop that in LinkedIn and and let's connect and more than happy to keep the conversation going. Dan, thank you so much. Thank you for for all the work you do
0: and uh, wish you all the very best and continuously to impact positively. uh, um, sustainability our planet uh, through the flow of money and many other ways blessings to you and your family and thank you for being a leaders who care thanks mary and thanks for having me